Hey guys, welcome to Lather Talk. So it looks like our experiment in converting an Instagram live session as an episode didn't work out as planned in terms of audio quality and audience interest. Uh, we're still early in the stages of the podcast and appreciate you all being along for the ride as we experiment with different things. That being said, we want to keep on doing Instagram lives as it's a great way to interact with you all. But in the future, those sessions will not replace the regular episode, but could pop up as a bonus episode. Now for this week, we are excited to bring you a two-part conversation with Stephen Joyner, brush maker and owner of Dogwood Handcrafts. In this first part, we're going in-depth on a variety of materials used in brush making. If you need some help visualizing, check out the link in our show notes to see some examples of the materials we discussed with Stephen. Now, on to the episode. Today, we have with us Stephen Joyner, and he is uh, most known for being a brush turner at Dogwood Handcrafts. He also is a current YouTube sensation, (laughs) as he does some live turnings of not just brushes, but of decorative eggs as well. So he's a man of many talents, and that we are very much looking forward to uh, gaining his expertise and knowledge on a number of brush materials. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. And we're glad to have you as well. And also with me, as usual, is my co-host, Gerard. What's up, guys? Hello. Hope you're doing well, Gerard. So, Stephen, today, among many things that we want to talk about, uh, we want to tap into your vast knowledge of various brush materials. And I know before coming on the episode today, you've done uh, in-depth research uh, to bring that info to us today. That's right. I've gone into the field. I have researched every known brush material known to man, I should say, and I have brought back my findings at great risk of my own life and limb to present them to you and your listeners. That's, that's top-notch journalism, and we appreciate you for that, but I'm not, I think we can just launch right into it if, if you like. The idea of framing this was there, if you take a cursory glance at any store or artisan's website that makes or sells shave brushes, you see there are a whole slew of materials that they come in. And a lot of people wonder, what is the difference between these two? Uh, does this have advantages over this one? Is there any reason that maybe I should buy one or avoid one? And, uh, and ultimately, like um, maybe what are all the options if I'm researching, hey, I want to buy a custom brush or I want to get a factory made one? And uh, so I'm looking specifically at just the differences in what the handles can be made of, not to say anything about the, uh, the hair specifically, which is its own, you know, entire, uh, entire rabbit hole to go down. And so I, I put together a list of really what are the, all the ones that I could think of off the top of my head, and then a few more that I researched to see if I missed anything. And I think it's, um, it's, it's plenty to get through on its own there. All right, so let's launch into the various brush materials, Stephen, that you researched into us. So the first one on the list I have is mass-produced plastic. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes, it's, uh, it's not exactly a kind terminology for it, but it, I think, evokes the, the right image of um, what you should think of. And really, it's, uh, I'm talking about the kind of like the cheap plastic that you imagine like children's toys are made of. You see a lot of brushes uh, that come out of um, China and Pakistan that are made out of this stuff. 
and uh, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's cheap. It's plastic. It's uh, it's probably the cheapest possible material in in how well it's been scaled up, and um, it it can be made using um, all sorts of molds and things like that. So there's really no need to involve like a human being with a lathe or even a CNC or anything like that. Mm. And um, but you know, at at the same time. There's not a lot of ability for you and I to customize it work like we would working with an artisan because of the scale that these things are made on. And um, it's not, you know, it's not something that you would see. Uh, the bottom line, it's not something that you see in the artisan space. This is a like a factory material that uh, is you're, you're getting the, the, the material and the brush from the same location as a finished item. So it's, you know, it's not something that I've ever worked with, obviously but it's something that I, I know of because a lot of your cheapest options are going to be um, uh, using this. So in like some of the Yaki and Uomo brushes that are not their resin material, but specifically this uh, plastic material. I see. And you mentioned kind of a scaling or production size. Are we talking like thousands or even more than that? Yeah, a lot of these places, some of the... the Units that I've seen, they have minimum order quantities that are over a thousand. Some of them as high as five thousand. Okay. And wow. uh, I know there's, um, I think some of the early, some of the early maggard handles might have been with this stuff. It's some of the plastics. It's hard to tell just looking at them whether they're from a, a resin or from this. I don't know. I, I looked. I can't find a um, like a unified uh, actual chemical property for what kind of plastic it is, but. Um, and then as well, I know that, um, so AP Shaveco has a, like a build a brush type of thing that he does where you can get the bottom and the top made from different plastics. And this appears to be a similar sort of material where it's like, okay, they're making thousands of the yellow top, thousands of the uh, black bottom or the blue bottom. And then you have to buy, you know, however many of each. I see. I, see. I think the kind of the children's toy, it gives kind of the perfect image of maybe. Yeah. It's a little they're, brittle, perhaps? Yeah, at the same time, I mean, they're very durable. I mean, I've mm. had a number of my children's toys that were stomped on by my very large father, and they, they did great. So and I that, guess I, I think that, that felt kind of flat. But <laughs> I want to say maybe another aspect uh, is uh, of those, because I want to say I've used maybe a couple of these like a long time ago, is that it's like incredibly lightweight, like weighs nothing, yeah. right? That's right. So, and a lot of them are hollow inside because to save yeah. on the material. So oh. yeah, so so like, you know, sometimes people, you know, like, you know, um, will like something well balanced or just like with a little bit of heft to them. And these don't, you know, you put that knot in there and a lot of times it'll tip over if it's just too like heavy on one side or the other. Yeah, I cut into a uh, Zenith bore brush that was the one that has the, um, it looks like an aluminum plating on the outside. The inside was just a very thin uh, shell of this uh, plastic, a, a black shell of this plastic with the knot glued into it. And it was, you know, extremely lightweight, but looking at it, you'd think, oh, it's like a solid piece of metal, but no, it was 90% air. So next on the list, we have Alumalite. That's right. Alumalite is a, a brand of polyurethane resin. And uh, the polyurethane just refers to the chemical makeup of this particular kind, or uh, this like uh, branch of resins. And uh, in, in this case, it's, you know, resin is synonymous with plastic in this use. It's like acrylic, it's plastic, it's resin, but polyurethane is the chemical name. And uh, this one is 
something that I'm incredibly familiar with because it's something that I've used for a very long time and it's used in a large number of other artisan brushes. You, you know, you buy it as a two part liquid, you combine the liquid, you make, you mix in the pigments, you choose all the colors and then you pour them together. You control the swirling pattern and everything. And then from there, you would uh, turn this on a lathe or, you know, if you're using a CNC, whatever sort of machine, it's not something that you would really carve by hand or something like that. It, it, you know, you could, but it would be very labor intensive due to the nature of the material. What I like about this stuff is it is practically indestructible. I've had um, slices of it that were incredibly thin that with my fully developed adult strength that I couldn't break. But, you know, at the same time, very, very expensive compared to some of the other options. It can be um, three to four times as expensive as other resins made with cheaper materials. And uh, due to its, its very um, high strength, it's really difficult to polish it. And uh, the other really big downside is that you have to cure it under pressure. So you can't mix it and then leave it out for it to cure and harden. It has to go into a, uh, a pressure pot that's like um, one you'd use for paint, not like one you'd use for food. And it has to be pressurized to around uh, between like 30 and 60 pounds per square inch. And uh, so that, you know, that's just a, a drawback of it. It doesn't have a super long working time. So if you're not quick while you're making it, it could theoretically seize up on you and you're left with a cup of goo, hardened goo. But this is a, a very prolific material. It's one that I really recommend if you want something that's going to last a lifetime and, and then some. And uh, it can take on any number of stunning appearances. If you've ever seen a, uh, a declaration grooming brush, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The interesting thing about Illumilite that you don't necessarily see with some other manufacturers is they make two main varieties, one that is intended to be clear when it's cured and one that turns opaque solid white when it's cured. Now you can mix white dyes into the clear to make it into the a similar appearance to the white one, but you can't, you can't unwhiten the white one to make it clear. So if you want something that's like a solid, um, totally flat color, you could use this white resin and mix in like a blue or a black or whatever and you would have a completely opaque uh blank or you know brush when you're done with it sure. whereas with the clear one if you want to prevent it being translucent or even fully transparent you have to really uh, bog it down with uh, pigment in order to make sure that like for example you don't see the knot in the sitting in the hole which is a problem that you see a lot of times if the the resin is under pigmented and it's something that I, I try to avoid since I don't like uh, I don't like seeing the knot unless you're intending to right since it's usually kind of it's kind of ugly it's not you know not really clear it just looks kind of muddy. Right, it, look, it looked like a error happened at some point. And you're kind of re revealing you know <laughs> the seams, if it were. Yeah, yeah, and but as far as the the level of like sparkliness or the amount of color, it's it all comes down to the. Um, the concentration of those pigments that you're adding. If you're using something that has a metallic sheen to it, if you only use a couple, like a pinch in an entire brush, it wouldn't show up as much as if you were to use like a teaspoon or even more in a, in a brush. And the same goes if you use a single drop of dye versus uh, like a, a hearty squirt, which could maybe be as much as a teaspoon or more. I, I, you know, I don't really measure it scientifically. It's sure. more of, 
like a duration of like how long did I squeeze this for? Mm-hmm. I guess when it comes to um, like working with it, um, like we're going to talk about, you know, different types of resins. Is there a significant difference between, you know, like putting it into a pressure pot or, or anything like that? Once it's, once it's hardened and everything, once you have the blank, is it pretty similar as far as feel and everything? Yeah, so it, it actually is drastically different from the next one we're going to talk about. And I can go ahead and launch into that and then kind of compare and contrast. Yep. So the, the next material I wanted to talk about is uh, polyester resin. And the biggest, as far as I know, you know, I'm just one dude. The biggest name that I know in this is a, um, a uh, product that's called Silmar 41. This is the, to my knowledge, the most used polyester resin. And more than that, it's the most used resin in all artisan brush making. So anything that's not um, mass produced, but even stuff that you can get polyester resin uh, itself, you, they, they, they have pre-made rods that are made in other countries that a lot of people will use. So like all the blanks that Paladin uses on their CNCs are uh, polyester resin, not polyurethane resin. And, uh, but otherwise you've got, uh, Wolf Whiskers, I believe uses it a lot of the Simpson brushes and then a lot of the current. So the more modern Yaki and Womo, uh, Chinese brushes are using polyester resin rods to start with. And, uh, but pretty much anybody else who starts off making custom brushes, if they're resin, it's probably polyester resin. And the big reason is, uh, I would say number one is price. For $35, you can get a gallon of polyester resin on the internet shipped to you. And that will last you on the order of, what, um, 20, 20, maybe 30 brushes, depending on how big of pours you're doing. And so you math that out, and that's a very little investment in materials into a brush that you're then going to sell for 40 to 50 times the material cost. So the, the other big thing is, since it doesn't need pressure for casting, I would say it can benefit from it, but it's absolutely not necessary. You uh, essentially would mix up your, your blank or your blanks. You know, maybe you do 10 at once if they're all similar. And then you can leave it out on your counter or wherever on your workbench. It's going to cure all the, essentially all the bubbles rise out of it because the resin is thin enough to um, not sort of trap them in there. Whereas the polyurethane is so viscous that by the time the bubbles ha- would have a time to rise out, the resin is already cured and hardened. And so if it's not cured under pressure, it's full of, of air pockets that uh, you, you can't really get away. When you turn it, the outside would just be like tiny uh, pockmarked craters all over it, which is not something most people want when they're making like a nice shiny custom brush. So that, that's the main reasons. You know, it's very accessible. It's very approachable. Very, very inexpensive. Uh, it does have some big drawbacks to it. But oh, the other the other thing is that it's substantially easier to polish than alumilite. As far as if you're counting the measuring the amount of time spent on sanding and polishing to get up to a finish where there's no machining or sanding marks left on your final brush, it's I mean it's less than half the amount of time in some cases. So it's it's a big you know it's a big difference that that starts to take a toll on you, and um, and plus time is money when you're when you're making uh handmade goods so but the downsides of it the polyester resin is much more brittle and prone to uh chipping 
both during the, the process of turning it. If you're not using, you know, like perfectly sharp tools, it can, it can chip or sometimes even explode in your face. Or even if it's dropped from a sufficient height, if part of the brush is too thin, you know, say you drop it on the, the knot cup and the walls are very thin, or if, the, uh, if there's like a really thin taper at some point in the handle, that could lead to it breaking. And then the other big thing is that it does give off really bad fumes when you're working with it. So it kind of requires a more ventilated area than these other materials. Hopefully you can kind of see the difference in these two materials that are the most commonly used. The Illumilite, much more expensive, but stronger and harder to work with versus the polyester, much cheaper, but a lot easier to work with as long as you are using the right equipment, but then potentially more fragile. Any, anybody that's selling brushes that look plastic in consistency, uh, if they're making them, it's probably one of these two. And, you know, that don't hold me to that, but I can't think of anything else that would make sense when you have the, um, how prolific these materials are. Uh, one thing you mentioned was the polishing time, right? And how uh, I believe the aluminite was almost like, was twice or significantly more time, right? It can on, be, yeah. On average, like what's the amount of time um, it takes for polyester versus aluminite brush to finish? Um, okay, so I guess the, for, for me personally, the sanding and polishing is kind of one continuous phase where mm -hmm. as soon as you're done with the cutting, that is when I consider the, the finishing time. Okay. So you start off with your lowest sandpaper, your lowest grit sandpaper, which depending on how good of a job you did with the shaping could be higher or lower. You know, like if you did a convincing job of smoothing everything over, then you don't need that really low grit sandpaper to round off all the, the nasty, you know, corners or anything like that, or do any shaping. Like if you, so for example, I usually start around uh, 220, but if I did a particularly bad job, I might need to start as low as 80. Okay. But that I, that I would say is uncommon. And then you, you build up through your sandpapers up until you get into polishing compounds. And then for brushes that are, you know, a polished finish versus a matte finish, you would be moving on to some sort of mechanical buffing device. So um, it could be as little as for sanding, it could be as little as five minutes if you're doing something that's like a matte white that doesn't show scratches at all. And so you really just have to sand it to a high enough level that it, you know, it doesn't look like it's scratched up. Whereas if you wanted to do the hardest thing I would say would be if you wanted something that was like a, a mirror polished black resin is going to show the most scratches and scuffs of anything. And you could be sanding and polishing that for upwards of 20 minutes. And okay. that's what, with either material, it, it, it really depends, I guess I would say. So my, my rule of thumb is prob, you know, probably double, and a lot of that time is the buffing process because a lot of people tend to um, kind of sand as best as you can and then get to the end and look at it. And rather than going back through all the sanding, just you know, buffing as well as you can to eliminate anything that you might have missed in the process. But that... The, with plastic, especially compared to other materials, the, the buffing makes a, a huge difference. I guess, I guess not every material, I shouldn't say that. But it, with the plastic, I would say it's definitely required if you're looking to get a polished finish. So um, it, whereas, you know, if you're using like a metal or something, you could do like a, a brushed finish on it. And then it's not necessary to then polish it to like a mirror, you know. So, but yeah, time-wise, time I'd say 
five to 30 minutes worst case scenario. And if it's, if, if it's that long, then it's um, going to be a long day if you're doing more than one of those. One, one quick question, I guess, um, where would acrylic fit in? Yeah. Acrylic is kind of a, a nebulous term. I think it's um, okay. so both, both of these are technically acrylics. Got it. Um, they're, yeah, it's a, some sort of, um, I, and I'm not a chemist. So like okay. all this, all the chemical names and everything don't, don't hold my feet to the fire on them, but I believe polyurethane and polyester are both classified as acrylic plastics. Got it. So yeah, so, so both of them would be acrylics, but not, um, you know, not all acrylics are aluminolite or polyurethane and not all acrylics are or, yeah. or polyester by itself. Got yeah, and there's... Just, and just there's, to maybe put it out there. You know, that's right. And there's, might be wondering. there's lots of other acrylics as well that are not commonly used for this because the, the nature of these is that they come at, essentially as epoxies where it's a liquid that you add a catalyst to of some kind and it becomes a solid. Whereas I think, you know, something like, um, like fiberglass maybe is formed in a different way. I, you know, I honestly don't know how that's made, but, um, or something like, um, carbon fiber or, mm -hmm. you know, all these things that might have a, a, a similar chemical makeup deep down, uh, are very different in the, um, in how it actually manifests in the medium. <laughs> the next one on the list is ebonite. Yeah, ebonite, uh, full disclosure, not one that I've used before uh, because, well, I mean, for the reasons I'll get into, uh, I know uh, Declaration has used this. I know Paladin has used it. And I know there's other people now that are using it, but I cannot tell you off the top of my head uh, because it's hard to keep up with so many uh, companies in this rapidly changing environment. But it's it's a it's a weird sort of different chemical than these other guys. And, I, and I'm really not sure what it's made of. I tried to do some research into it, and there's not a lot of information about it. But the takeaway from it, it's incredibly strong, very, very durable. And for that reason, very hard to work with. It can take, from talking to uh, Scott at Declaration, can take two to three times as long for the finishing process as even a Lumalite. It's like trying to polish a, uh, like a tire. You know, it just it has almost like a hardened rubber kind of consistency to it, uh, but extremely hard, extremely dense. And it, it just fights you every step of the way, but it's, you know, it's an option. So I wanted to, I wanted to mention it. Uh, it's probably will outlast uh, even cockroaches in the nuclear apocalypse. So if you value longevity in a brush, then maybe reach for that. Yeah. Um, I've seen the, you know, like brushes made with ebonite and like, they're beautiful. They're just, they almost have like different texture to them, like than some of the other resins and things like that. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting that all these things that essentially are plastic-like when you boil them down can feel radically different in your hands, and in the weight, especially if you compare like the Chinese plastic is extremely light, and then the alumalite is you know fairly heavy. Polyester is substantially heavier than alumalite, although I'm not sure how many people you know if in a blind test would be able to identify them, but. I know a lot of people that claim to be able to identify them, but uh, for for me, you know, it it gets hard to tell. And then then ebonite, I'm not sure where that falls in the scale, but it's definitely on the on the heavier, denser end. Yeah, I think um, some people like because um, the thing I recognize is it almost looks like tree rings sometimes. Like you know, um, it's just kind of a standout thing. 
and I, and I see that usually with with ebonite brushes and I think that's almost yeah. like their signature um, yeah you know. it's it's something that I feel like would be very difficult to pull off. It's almost like a, uh, like a Damascus steel that's like layered yeah. and twisted and everything. Not exactly. really something that you can accomplish by hand with, with just like three cups of different acrylic colors, you know? And then um, kind of just going on with, with the list of things that we have, like just wood, any, any wood, specifically hardwood. Yeah, your 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 backyard wood. I imagine this is one of the uh, first materials that was used for many things, including shaving brushes. And uh, you know, hardwood makes an awesome brush. And there's a ton of people that do primarily, if not exclusively, wooden brushes. Uh, Elite Razor was the big one that I wanted to mention in the artisan space, as well as um, Briar Brushworks uses uh, briar pieces that are commonly used to make uh, tobacco pipes, but he will use a similar process in the, as pipe creation in brush creation. And um, I think there's some, there's some larger available ones. Like I think uh, Artist Shaving might have a wooden brush. I know the, um, the Plisson brushes, I'm pretty sure mm -hmm. were, were a sort of, some kind of hardwood. And, um, but with the nice thing about the wood though, you have thousands, if not millions, of variations to pick from just in the species alone. And then within those, each one can have hundreds of different kinds of variations and, and color patterns and uh, grain structures, all that sort of stuff. Whether you turn it on its ends or on the side it can have a drastic difference in, in how it looks. And there's all kinds of different finishes that you could do on it. You could do your matte finishes all the way up to your super gloss, uh, like glass looking finishes on wood. And uh, so that, that for my money makes it a great material, but you do have to be, you do have to watch out for um, a lot of the woods can be incredibly expensive. There's woods I've worked with that just for a block of it, the size of a brush can be, I mean, you can have woods, over a hundred dollars for a piece that size in, in something like super exotic in your like crazy exotic brawls and whatnot. Or um, uh, the other big pitfall is that wood is a natural material. So it, it does have the flaws that a natural material might have in terms of variations. It can experience rot and things like that. And so you want to be using woods that um, have a known uh, properties of of durability and um, you have to watch out for wood is a porous material that expands and contracts with heat and humidity and of course in a bathroom where you're shaving that is going to be a very very common environment that it's going to experience and so you see a lot of wood brushes that will crack if they're if they're not prepared and finished properly and sometimes even the ones that are just can't um, can't last under that kind of pressure and if you you think about if you have a thin part of the brush where the the knot hole is drilled into that's where you see a lot of them fail and uh, including some that I've done just you know out of not uh, taking the proper proper precautions but wood it needs to be impregnated with something to prevent that swelling whether you're um, hardening the wood ahead of time with a, a stabilizing agent or if you're finishing it with something that will prevent, you know, a, a nice sealant that will prevent anything from um, any moisture from, from penetrating it. 
you mentioned Burl. Um, I think a lot of people have, you know, like seen the term like uh, in terms of shaping, but can you explain exactly what Burl is? And, you know, maybe, and I know you're going to talk about it um, in a, because I know you're, I mean, it's what you use uh, a lot in, in your handles, but yeah, what, what's Burl and, and why, why use it compared to just another piece of wood? Sure. Yeah. So Burl is, I mean, the dictionary definition, which I happen to have right in front of me, is uh, tree growth in which the grain has grown in a deformed manner. And specifically, it's the areas where it gets kind of knotted and uh, kind of twisted looking. And the, the nice thing about it is it, it doesn't obey a lot of the typical rules that a straight crane piece of wood would obey where in a straight grain wood if it's going to split it's going to split along that grain line whereas in the burl it's kind of going all over the place and chaotic and so it can it can lead to a stronger piece but more you know more interestingly it has a lot more uh like beautiful and exquisite pattern to that grain that when you finish it you can bring out to show the character of it you know two two pieces of uh just like a straight uh, maple wood side by side you may not be able to distinguish but two pieces of burl even cut from the same tree an inch apart might look like they were from completely different species just because of that crazy amount of variation it's almost um it's almost like like tumorous in you know like a, a normal human cell versus like a uh, a cancerous cell of the same kind it's you know it looks radically different thank you on that uh we also have like metal any sort of metal uh brush yeah metal is uh full disclosure once again not something that i work with in in turning a lot but uh i have a lot of respect for the guys that do because it's just a completely different skill set because a lot of the a lot of the metals you think about like your steel and your brass and uh, bronze and copper and a lot of these things don't uh lend themselves well to hand turning on just like a hobbyist lathe and it will require either a full-on uh, machine lathe or a, a CNC to to produce but I know um, so CNR which is uh, Carnavis and Richardson is a, a big name in it um, I've seen some I think I've seen some all metal zeniths as well um, and I'm sure there's lots of others uh, but they're the CNR are the ones that come to mind for me because they're just you know two dudes with a uh, machine making these things and um but they're you know it's it's metal so it's basically indestructible you're not going to destroy a uh, a solid brass uh, brush handle or a nickel or aluminum or anything like that i mean the, the amount of things you'd have to do to destroy it compared to any of your resins or woods is sh i mean shocking to think of what you would have to do you could probably run over a, run over a lot of these with your car and they'd be fine but uh, you got so many different choices in material and all kind. you know, like we, we talked about before, all the different uh, grades of finishing that you can do with metal, where you can do engraving and etching and, um, and just all kinds of craziness. And you could in even incorporate it into, you know, combinations with other materials. So, um, but, you know, I imagine it's, it's probably a lot more expensive for the, um, the artisans or the manufacturers just for the material cost. And then you have the cost of the machinery and the equipment and the time. And um, that's, that's really uh, 
all I have to say about that, I guess. I, I think there's a lot of metals you wouldn't want to use for brushes because they would just be like unwieldy. You wouldn't want, when we talk about Damascus steel, you wouldn't want like a solid steel handle because it would weigh a ton or like lead, you know, <laughs> or, uh, some, yeah, something like a solid cast gold. Iron. Yeah. Cast iron, gold, um, plutonium, maybe just not, not the best choices. So. <laughs> plutonium. You know, although, you know, you can, you can, uh, with that said, I think some people, uh, you know, they think plutonium, they think like, you know, the glowing green stuff that, uh, like Homer Simpson would like work with, but you can get like resins and um, kind of going back to that because I've seen um, uh, fluorescent handles where they'll add something in it and it'll glow in the dark. And that's just, just that, that's also an additive, right? Yeah, they, there are um, fluorescent resins. I think, I think Illumilite makes one that is inherently black light reactive or ultraviolet reactive, but most commonly there are, there's, I think there's dyes and powdered pigments as well. And I've, I've turned some blanks that were made by some, uh, made by someone else for me to turn that were uh, fluorescent, but I've, I've not actually like bothered to mix, mix through them and, and do it myself. And my thought process was most people don't shave under black light. So what's the point? But yeah, no, I think if, fair enough. Yeah. yeah if I you mean, like it, so, more power to you, but. You know, if, 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 uh, if there's a small market, then someone <laughs> can, you know, and someone can take it for themselves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, the next one on the list is one that you're very familiar with. Um, a lot of your uh, people that are familiar with you is the hybrid wood and resin. Yes. Uh, finally on the list, my, uh, my favorite, I guess, at just out of familiarity. So there's technically hybrid brushes where you have a block of wood glued to a block of resin and then you turn them together and you have like wood on the top and resin on the bottom or the opposite. That's not exactly what I'm talking about here, but it, 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 it does have a lot of the same properties, I guess, when you get down to it. But specifically what I, what I do is I take a, a natural edge burl, which is the outside of the tree where it's all like bumpy and weird, and then pour resin on top of that. And that makes the, the hybrid piece. But um so obviously I use it. There's other, there's other places that use it, but I, I don't know of anyone else exclusively where it's like, that's their thing. So, um, you know, this is the portion of the show where I get to do some gratuitous torn or horn tooting, but um, that's, you know, that's what I'm familiar with, I guess. So you, in this, with this material, you have the best of both worlds and the worst of both worlds with your resin and your wood. So as far as the best of both worlds part of it, you, you have untold levels of customization in that you're customizing your resin and you're customizing your wood. So all kinds of matchups that you can do there. But with, the, uh, with that, the huge drawback is that finishing these two items on their own is a very laborious process. Finishing them together can be even more difficult because you, you have to think about the different densities and hardnesses of these materials and the, the wood requires special precautions like we talked about before with the cracking and everything. And then, um, you know, the resin portion usually is going to be pretty straightforward, but you have to think about cohesively. I'm finishing this from start to end uh, as one item. And so 
you, you know, if you just have half as wood and half as resin, it's easy to just say, okay, I'm going to slap some uh, polyurethane finish on the wood and then just polish the resin and I'm good. But when you have the whole thing is fluid and, and um, together in one piece, it's, uh, it's not as easy. So that's, uh, that's how that goes. So, um, I mean, you're really known for this. Like, did you, you know, did you arrive at this kind of, you know, on your own or, you know, did you start off with just making um, either polyester resin or alumilite, you know, brushes, and then you're just like, oh, I could do this, you know, like kind of maybe be a little bit of background to how you made this your signature um, yeah, style. Yeah, I... I'm the first to say I have no claim on the invention of this material or the um, first in doing it in the shaving world. All that would be completely ridiculous. Um, there, essentially, when I started off doing uh, woodworking and I went to the local you know, wood supply store, there is a company called Shockwood, I believe, that makes like large uh, quantities of uh, this hybrid material where they take the burl and they pour, uh, they pour polyester resin over it and uh, cut it up into blocks and then people can use it. Their, their main advertisement is for um, uh, bottle stoppers for wine bottles and things like that. But um, so I, while I was there getting wood for things, I saw that they had it. I picked some up and tried it with brushes and I was like, I really like how this looks, but you know, I can't control what colors and sizes and things like that they're using or type of wood or whatever. And uh, so I looked into how to, how to do it myself. Cause I really like that, um, that kind of effect of a landscape that it gives, but it was, you know, I started off just doing blocks of wood and then in the course of picking up new wood, I came across this pre-existing material and learned it as, you know, as thoroughly as I've been able to. But, um, you know, you do see companies that are using these, these pre-made ones, but it's usually pretty easy to tell um, if that's, you know, an existing one versus one that somebody like, you know, meticulously slaved over to get every little bit of it um, looking how they want or whatever. But um does that answer your question? Yeah, no, okay. no, definitely. Um, like, um, and, and I mean, you can, uh, for, for our listeners, you can find, um, definitely like other, like even furniture pieces, like, you know, like tables. Yeah. The um, tables are a really popular one I've seen. I haven't had the, uh, the guts to try that anything yeah. on that scale. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, you know, on Instagram, you'll just see stuff where people will, um, pour the resin and it'll look like a, like a river, you know, going through a canyon or something like that. Just, you know, some really like beautiful stuff. I think the earliest instance of this that I can think of are the, I think they're called secret rings. They, um, they make, I mean, rings and necklaces and stuff where it's a, like a piece of wood and then they have the resin and then I think they hand sculpt a lot of it. Uh, but it's mostly faceted edges. So it's not like, it, you know, they're not sculpting like a human head and sanding it. It's like a bunch of flat surfaces, but um they they do things that uh, completely defy my imagination. I mean, I I honestly don't know how they pull off some of the effects that they do. And in a shaving brush, it would be incredibly impressive. But you know, that's their uh, their area. You know, you mentioned kind of the best of both worlds, the worst of both worlds. Is it just more brittle sometimes, or like well, you know, like where maybe the the resin part will like have a chip or a crack? 
or, or the burl itself, you know, uh, will have the thing. And then you're just like, dang it, you know, like, yeah, uh, essentially the, the wood is the weak link in this equation. Yeah. I, I, I use alumilite, which I talked about before, incredibly strong. A lot of people use polyester, incredibly strong. Both of these are way stronger than most of the woods that are also being used in conjunction with this. It, you know, accepting like some of your crazy exotic hardwoods that are just unbelievably durable. Most of the woods that people are using are, they are fallible, you know, they are a natural material that can have flaws that can result in failure. I do everything that I can to prevent that. And I've only experienced a handful of them in, in the time that I've been doing this, but the, for the way that I make them anyway, the knot goes in the wooden end, which is the weaker end. And so you have those thin walls where if anything is going to fail, that's where it's going to fail. You would think that, hey, maybe the wood and the resin could come apart. That's not something I've experienced. Um, we, we took a, a blank, uh, my girlfriend and I, and shot it with a bow and arrow with a, like a 50-pound longbow and um, were able to get one to separate. But that was like blind luck. So just a random anecdote for you. Um, but, um, but really the, the worst of both worlds is more in terms of, yeah, you have that, uh, I would, you know, any alumilite brush is going to be stronger than any hybrid brush, I, I think, just because the alumilite itself is stronger than most of the wood. And so it's much less likely to fail. I've never seen a, um, a alumilite brush that has cracked under the pressure of holding like a really fat badger knot or something. Whereas I have seen wood brushes fail from that many times. Not many times mine, but many times it has happened. Cool. Uh, I have a question actually, uh, just before we move on from the hybrid wood and resin, and this is more personal, I'm not, on the artistic inspiration side. So kind of as long as I've known and seen kind of dogwood brushes, right? Uh, there's a kind of sort of sci-fi look to it because when you have like a purple resin, right? Um, looking like an alien sky against the, you know, the, like the mountainscape of the wood part. Uh, I'm just wondering like, is that, was that an, an influence at all, at all for you or an appeal? Cause, uh, my brain can't help but think of like, oh, this is space. This is, you know, the, uh, yeah, Star, I mean, Star Wars. Yeah, I guess the early ones were supposed to be more natural landscapes, like Earth natural landscapes. I was trying to recreate like um, night skies and northern mm. lights and, you know, sunset, sunrise, that kind of thing. But once I got into dyeing the woods uh, different colors, then it's like, okay, you know, where on Earth is there uh, like blue mountains? that are, or like vivid, uh, purple mountains. I mean, yeah, we have purple mountain majesties in the U S but <laughs> I, I've yet to actually see them up close. So it kind of gives you more once I started doing the weird combinations, it's kind of like, okay, yeah, there's, there's a little more, um, science fiction aspect to this than it looking like, um, the Northern lights in Sweden for example. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All right, next one on the list, I'll just kind of go down, is uh, bone slash horn. Yeah, I grouped these together because they, I mean, they they have a similar... Uh, manner of working them and they both smell really really bad when you when you cut into them uh, working with bone and horn is like uh, being at the dentist getting your tooth drilled except it's filled up your entire workshop and it's all over your clothes and stuff it's just it's just awful but they look they look outstanding they're really strong I think horn has been used in shaving stuff for a very long time and I would lump bone in there as well under uh, ivory I guess ivory is technically bone, not a horn. Yeah, because it's teeth. And um, but uh, you know, you don't see it as much because I think, and I think part of the reason is, in order to get pieces that are big enough to make brushes out of it, it can be pretty expensive since it's a natural material. It needs to be like continuous and not. Um, I mean, you could use a smaller piece and like glue it to wood or something, but for like a solid horn brush or solid bone, it's got to be really big to start with. And a lot of those sources, like elephant ivory, uh, have been, you know, illegal and out of practice for a very long time. And uh, it, it does raise possible ethical concerns with where the material is sourced, or if you're opposed to using animal materials, period, then obviously this is going to be something that um, it would not be a, a big selling point for you as a as a material but I, I i think art of shaving has current production uh horn brushes that i've seen but other than that honestly i draw a blank on, on modern um in production sources of bone and horn brushes would you imagine there's any difference as far as like um bone being like more porous you know than grainy as compared to wood or you know, or yeah. anything like that. Um, so I've worked with bone and horn a lot with um, razor handles, not not with brushes, you know, full disclosure. And the, the horn has a lot more flexible nature to it. And I think that's because, so it, I believe horn is made of keratin and bone is uh, bone. And yeah. um, so the bone is going to be a lot less flexible, more porous, as you said, just because of the... the um, the function that it serves in uh, in the body, whereas horn is more of a um, an, an adaptation to accomplish some completely separate task in um, like hunting or mating rituals and all that kind of stuff. But um, I think the yeah the horn is kind of built of uh, like layers and layers of as the keratin grows, whereas bone is um, like a more uh, contiguous kind of more. Uh, I want to say it grows almost like tree-like, but you know, mm. not a not a biologist here. Just going based on the pieces that I've worked with, and mm. you know, if I have if I have a sheet of bone and a sheet of horn that are an eighth inch, I can bend the horn like crazy, but not the bone. You know, the bone will, will just snap. So, uh, you know, and then finally uh, on our list is clay slash porcelain. 
Yes, the last one, the last one that occurred to me, and I would be remiss if I didn't include it on this extremely exhaustive list of materials. Um, clay and porcelain, so porcelain is a variation of clay, which is why I've lumped them together, and the creation process I imagine is similar, but I don't know, because the last time I worked with clay uh, on a serious level was in seventh grade art class, but there are clay and porcelain brushes in production, specifically porcelain. Uh, Pantaray is an artisan, I believe, out of Italy that makes hand-sculpted and then hand-painted shaving brushes. And then Rooney is a much bigger name that does uh, porcelain brushes as well. And um, like I said, you can, you can think of, imagine how you're sculpting clay and then translating that into a shave brush. It kind of opens up a lot of possibilities that we don't have with our acrylics and our bone and wood and everything just because of how easy it is to manipulate it. And then once it's, um, you know, once it's baked and set, then uh, that, that shape is taken. Whereas if, if you wanted to make something similar out of wood, it would be like intricate carving in, in that wood is, uh, you know, in its final hardness the whole time. So you have the possibility of non-traditional shapes, but I think the porcelain and clay have some heavy drawbacks, which is why I would personally not reach for them in a, in a brush for myself. And that is that if you drop them, they're probably dead. They are probably not going to survive a very long drop because clays are very heavy and very fragile. And if you've ever dropped a shaving bowl or a scuttle that was made of them, then you know what results when it hits your bathroom floor. If you've dropped a dish bowl or anything like that, yes. yeah, you end up with, uh, you know, just shards everywhere and, and, and things like that. So Yes, it suffers uh, from the same uh, tragic downfall as every expensive vase in every, um, you know, 80s and 90s cartoon. It will shatter everywhere and there's really no coming back from that. Yeah, I, I think um, when it comes to a lot of these specific materials, um, you know, outside of, of the resins, you know, a lot of the, the companies, manufacturers, artisans, you know, kind of use that as their, as their signature piece, right? I mean, you know, um, I, I don't know if I've seen Pantaray make a non-porcelain handle, you know, because it's just kind of, that's their, that's their thing. You yeah, know? that's, uh, that's true. Honestly, maybe they do. Um, but, uh, sorry, Pantaray, but I, if, your 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 porcelain stuff is so uh, unique that it's what you're known for. So you know, no, and, and I I think you know, and I think it's beautiful. It's definitely you know like something that um, you kind of blur the line between just like you know uh, art and 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 just a you know functional item. Like I, I'd say the same thing about um, your handles and, and a lot of a lot of uh, other individual artisans. You know, who, oh definitely. Who um, and so. I think, you know, for consumers, because I, I like try to like, you know, think of a cons as, as a, the consumer first, you know, that is this something that like, like I do want to like, you know, dive into, you know, whether it's going to be your hybrid handles or, you know, maybe I want to get like, you know, like a bone collection, like a bone razor or a horn, you know, brush or something like that. Um, you know, whereas, I mean, the majority of people are definitely just getting, you know, resin handles or, uh, probably just the regular um, polyester resin handles and, and whatnot. But um, and this is, it's, it's been interesting because I don't think it was something, um, you know, before we, 
even talked about this or anything like that. I'm just like, I never thought about like the potential difference as like the consumer about, you know, like uh, what materials are going to be used or, or um, how you as the, as a Turner would, you know, would have like, you know, success or, or failures like, you know, with it, whether it's chipping or, or anything like that. Yeah. So, and there's, there's, there's people that, you know, as long as the handle looks nice, they don't care what they get. And there's people that um, will absolutely never use this type of resin versus or uh, a handle made of this type of resin versus this other one, because this one is 40% lighter and whatever else. Uh, you know, there's a lot of personal preference at play here. The same with everything else in this hobby, uh, regardless of which aspect of it you look at, whether it's the one millimeter difference in two razor gaps or a, um, a different uh, soap ingredient or whatever else a uh a six eight straight versus a seven eight straight you know but um but ultimately you know i i don't think that there is a i don't think there's such thing as a bad handle material it's just all of them have drawbacks on some level and you sort of have to weigh what what do i value in it and i i honestly think for most people in the artisan brush space so that's that's a, a small amount of people that are already a smart, small amount of people, which are wet shavers. So this small amount of people that are seeking out artisan brushes and custom brushes, the appearance is a huge factor in it. And most people seem to be willing to compromise on everything else as long as it looks how they want it to look. If, you know, with as many brushes and stuff like that that I've purchased, yeah, it was 99% was like, oh, this one's pretty. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, not, oh, I, not, oh, this one's going to last more, more durable. This one's going to live through a nuclear holocaust or anything yeah. like that, you know. Yeah, mine are the same way. I mean, my, my two favorite um, handles that I have are from one artisan that uses Illumilite and one that uses uh, polyester. Neither of them are ones that I made. And um, they are both like completely stunning in their own way. And I, I don't even think about the material throughout the entirety of the time that I'm using it because it just doesn't play a role in, uh, in that process for me. But if it, you know, if it was made of um, like solid gold or porcelain or something, I feel like that would suddenly start to make a difference because then you're having to worry about the weights or the durabilities, or is this going to get stolen while I'm at work? You know, there's all these different factors you have to consider. I mean, this is a pretty exhaustive list. Any possibilities of any, I mean, you could literally make a, a, a handle out of anything. Yes. And yeah. there, there were a few things that I did not put on the list because I don't know that they qualify as handled materials. There was a huge craze for a while of um, putting brush knots into just random things and there's a number oh, of people that like a lego brush you know like a yes toy, like a toy that's or, right you know, or, yeah, or scott, whatever um, it may be i think scott uh declaration famously put a brush knot into the ground and made the planet earth brush on, <laughs> on earth day yeah oh, um yeah. i've seen um i've seen there's a guy who puts them in bobbleheads um, and then you have the brush is the head and then the stand is the body, but that's not what I would call a brush material. That's what I would call a toy. Mm, uh, yeah. but, um, you could, I mean, what couldn't you turn into a brush? I've seen snow globes. 
Um, I've seen skulls. Uh, I've seen uh, uh, car uh, shift knobs. It's the your your imagination is the only limit. I mean, I, I just want to thank you for giving us all that information. It is what just like you guys have mentioned. It's not something that's at the forefront of when I'm making a purchase because uh, Gerard made the comparison one time where. Uh, sometimes we purchase like for those who have a brush collection it's like an action figure collection it's like oh i don't have the blue and black one the green or you know, you're kind of just like trying to i mean it's 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 so vain right like for people who do shade of the day videos or photos that they do it you know based upon like the color first you know they'll, they'll just they'll color match like they would like their own outfits and and so i feel like you know with a lot of brushes it's very much the same way yeah definitely you know it's it's great if your brush can match your soap and your razor and whatever else you need it to match. But it's also great if it looks fantastic on its own. Absolutely. Those are the kind of things that I seek out because I just really like the color blue. And so I get brushes with blue in them. And then regardless of whether I'm using a blue labeled soap, which occasionally I do, it <laughs> looks awesome and I like looking at it. But uh, it's, it is interesting that you bring up, yeah, the, there are a lot of people that make purchases based on appearance and a surprising number of people that make purchases based on how things will photograph. I find that a really interesting development in the hobby that was not present when I started out. I think that trend makes sense. I mean, think about even in like restaurants and food industry, right? Now when oh, you yeah. have an item that's Instagrammable, I mean, and, and that's obviously one huge uh, medium for shaving as well as Instagram, right? So, oh yeah, this, the the stunt photo, you know, like and things like that. I'm here in Southern California. There's a lot of people that Instagram food, you know, oh, yeah. uh, and, and whatnot. And it, and that's the thing. It's just like how over the top is it going to look, you know, like and and how, you know, this is even is this even, you know, in in terms of shaving, like is this really a brush or like what is this, you know, at this point? Um, yeah, it's it's almost like. Um... And, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm guilty of this too. Uh, not so much, well, yeah, in shaving too, like for example, when I got my uh, Wolfman razor, which are very difficult to come by, it is as much a shaving implement as it is a work of art, as it is a dopamine hit because you can share it and other people will praise you for it. And then you have, you see what I mean? You have shown off something and gotten that that feedback that we all seek to get from social media you know with the same reason that people take pictures of their food is look at what i'm eating how great am i that i'm eating this you know i want to hear i want to hear it from you and we i think with a lot of our um with our custom and artisan shaving stuff there's a similar effect going on where it's like not only does this thing hold up on its own merit but it will other people will validate for this maybe yeah. and validate it yeah it's interesting. It's it, like I said, it's not something that I expected early on, you know, it, early on in this uh, people only, it was really before Instagram had taken off with shaving and people were buying things. Cause it was like, that's the thing I want to have. And people still do that. But now there's this other uh, interesting phenomenon going on at the same time. Yeah. And I think about it, how we, cause we had talked about it with Rafa in our last episode like just kind of like design and, and things like that, whether in, in his case, it was like with like labels and whatnot. In your case, it's with handles and other artisans. And, and of course, like, you know, you mentioned the Wolfman and a lot of the other premium products. There's just so much emphasis, you know, based upon like the appearance aesthetics and it's 
I think it's only going to get, you know, more and, and it's only going to propel itself. You know, that's, that's what oh, it's yeah. going to be in, in, the, in the future and things like that. Yeah, it's, it's crazy to look at where we came from with the first, the first artisan soaps after um, L.A. Shaving Soap Company started with the, you know, the public recipe uh, development and everything where people were just using like uh, mailing envelope labels, essentially just paper and ink on a, uh, like a random sized container. So now everything is so meticulously designed and selected and much higher quality materials. And people are hiring expensive uh, graphic designers that mm -hmm. themselves have no idea that boutique shaving is a thing and they're being called in and paid hundreds and thousands of dollars to develop art for this industry that uh, at least this sector of it didn't exist 10 years ago, really. So it's, yeah, it's a cool evolution. I think it, I think the, the, like the flashiness and the razzmatazz of the advertising and the, the marketing and the labeling is definitely, definitely increasing. And you, you really do have to um, participate in that in order to keep up with uh as the market advances yeah it's it's definitely i still think you know with the you mentioned the wolfman razor and with brushes in general right we're talking functional art and in the case of of the razors it's man jewelry right because we're not you know using expensive diamonds or other stones or whatever yeah but, you know yet we're not, not yet. using them yet <laughs> okay not, not yet <laughs> That's but. true. Uh, I mean, uh, I know I, I have seen uh, gem studded brushes, but I don't think they were real gems. So I'm not necessarily going to count that, but that's the progression. I would, I would love to see a solid gold diamond studded brush someday. Uh, not made by me by any means, but somebody who, somebody who has the uh, confidence to take on that, I, I'll fully embrace it for what it is. And we'll see it being used by a James Bond villain, you know, and yes. things like that, or a or a mob boss, you know, uh, like in a movie or something, something along those lines. You can only uh, hope, yeah. I was just thinking, celebrity, right? If, if there's a celebrity wet shaver, for sure, they're going to do twenty four karat. There, yeah. Think actually to think about that. Like, I wonder if you go through the um, the sales logs of like Niagara Razors or West Coast Shaving or Artist Shaving, any of these big bigger companies. How, what famous people have they sold to or like royalty or um, sure. uh, politicians? That's, that's interesting to think about. John and I were talking about this. I said, I want to find a, celeb a celebrity <laughs> who's into the hobby. You yeah. Know? And, and I'm, I don't know. I, I have no idea if it's going to pop up, but like, it, I just think it would be very interesting and, you know, and, and to see where that goes. Yeah. I mean, you get somebody like Chris Pratt, in the in the hobby and things are going to explode it's going to be completely out of control oh no. oh oh i hope not Gosh, or I a <laughs> uh or, or one of these um one of the like the mumble rappers or the k-pop stars you know oh, somebody yeah, just yeah. with like a lot of clout with young people bts doesn't even bts doesn't even grow facial hair you know like like <laughs> or anything like that don't put down it's, our people like that <laughs> <laughs> yeah right well, to kind of uh, finish up on this topic, Stephen, you listed a bunch of materials here and, you know, we've identified the hybrid wood resin as kind of your go-to, but are there any materials on the list or otherwise that 
it's kind of on your bucket list of either uh, to turn to a brush or even if like a pre-existing kind of we've mentioned the objects around the house can be turned to a brush and any I don't know any any bucket list items like that sorry I gotta think about this <laughs> you're a creative guy I, f- I feel like you, you you must have seen something random like that could be a good brush yeah one thing that I've gotten into in the recent years has been embedding objects in the resin and so like my most famous one is doing the Jurassic Park replica with the little bug in it. Um, and I've done some, I've dabbled into some kind of, kind of exotic things. Like I did fossilized shark teeth and I've done uh, seahorses and I've done some gemstones. I'd like to do something. I don't know. Like what is the, think of like, what is the coolest thing that's like less than an inch long that you could put in a brush, you know? So like something like a rare fossil or some kind of gem that would, that would take well to it. Mm. That's what I, 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 I'm constantly thinking about what's something cool that I could put in there that I don't know that you would want in there. I mean, I've got some human teeth that I, I'm working on doing in there. Um, but uh, that, that's something that I think about a lot. So, uh, but I guess, yeah. Like what is the most, I get, if we say the most expensive thing that's like less than an inch long that you can, you know, that you can think of. Look, Throw a diamond in there. Yeah. I mean, that's, I guess, I guess that's it. I guess I, I want to have so much money that I can put a 10 carat diamond in a brush and have it not matter. You know, I'd love, I'd love to see the, uh, the, the hope diamond have a hole drilled in it and a 28 millimeter declaration not put in it. So <laughs> Jay-Z, where you at? That'd be great. Yeah. Jay-Z, just let's, let's, let's get, let's get you on the wet shaving turn. Get that art, get that rock, get that giant diamond on there. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I mean, it's interesting yeah. to think about, but yeah. yeah, I mean, it'd be, it'd be cool to do some metal work. Um, but you know, the, the investing, uh, as far as the startup costs and that is pretty crazy. So, yeah. but, uh, I'd love somebody, I don't care who it is to make a solid gold handle, you know, even if you're not, not turning it, but casting it. Cause I think yeah. gold you can, you can cast. So just cast it in. I want to see like a crazy shape, not just like a blob, but like a, you know, something intricate. That would be cool. Like, a, a, you know, even if it's just like a Simpson chubby shape, solid yeah, yeah. gold. Yeah, yeah. Somebody, somebody get on this. How has this not been done yet? <laughs> gold is not that expensive that we can't take a few ounces of it and turn it into a brush. <laughs> be real here. Or even, even if it's silver, like silver isn't that, that expensive as some of the, um, uh, like people are using uh, mammoth fossils and stuff. Come on, mm. silver's got to be more obtainable than that. Much more so, yes. I, I see the ads for it on the TV all the time. Like, just you're supposed uh, to convert all your money to silver and then convert <laughs> that into shaving brushes. So, so I'm just gonna say it right now, Stephen. Uh, I just looked up the gold price per ounce. One yeah. ounce of of gold is one thousand five hundred and fifty nine dollars. <laughs> okay, what what is the volume of one ounce of gold? You can uh, use gold leaf, gold leaf, and then use a cheaper metal underneath. I know that's not no, no. You're go, go bigger. Yeah, go I home. guess do that around some lead. So when you pick it up, it's like, oh yeah, that's got some heft to it. Woo! But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying I, I I'm willing to pursue this uh, up to a certain price point. So right. if we're, I mean, how many thousands of dollars of gold do I need to buy to fill up a brush? You know, like how much is an ounce of gold in in weight? Or in uh, volume? 
Is that like a one inch cube or a two inch cube? I don't know. I'm, yeah. I, you know. We'll have to look into this. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Or, or one thing that hasn't been explored is making it out of like a, like a neodymium rare earth magnet. So then you have like a super powerful uh, <laughs> magnetic brush that like, if you, if you lose grip of it, it'll just like zoom across the room onto your faucet or something. That'd be cool. Break something put, other way. <laughs> you put it on your refrigerator and now it, it can never come off basically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. If, if you have a, if you have the budget, if you have the capital to put up a, a solid gold handle, all right, you can reach Steven Joyner. <laughs> yeah, I'll do it. I mean, I won't, you know, I'm going to go ahead and agree to it ahead of time because how often does that kind of opportunity come across? True. I mean, if somebody came to you, you should learn to make brushes and do it because that's, I mean, that's a once in a lifetime right there. It's true. Well, thank you so much, Stephen, for uh, really just doing the research and sharing your knowledge um, about brush materials. I think it's, it's something that folks haven't thought about, but uh, it's very interesting information and I'm very happy to share that. Yeah, thanks. It's interesting. It was interesting for me to kind of learn more about these other things that I don't really get to use very much. And, um, you know, I, I, I hope it comes across as like, uh, I'm not just saying everybody should go buy hybrid brushes because let me be clear. I, I don't have any for sale. I don't want you to buy them. <laughs> I, the, uh, the, the hobby, you know, is, is lifted by everybody patronizing uh, all the businesses that need our support. So, you know, go and, and check out all kinds, you know, there's all kinds of custom brush makers and larger brush makers for all budgets and tastes and everything. And um, every single one of these materials has somebody out there who is just absolutely killing it and pushing that material to its limits of how, how like exquisite the brushes can be made out of it. And I have a ton of respect for the people that are able to um, like zero in on their, on their niche and really deliver uh, the, you know, these really impressive products. So, um, but you know, I, I had to talk about the one that I'm really familiar with or else it just, you know, it could have been, uh, could have been anybody talking about it, I guess. But, uh, I appreciate, course, yeah. I appreciate the opportunity. Um, I, I, you know, I really don't want to come across as, um, just being like, uh, uh, self promoting. Cause that's not, not what I'm trying to do. I think there's, you know, a lot of really interesting stuff out there that a lot of people are doing. So. Well, on that note of self-promotion, however, I do want folks to be able to find, or at least look at the gallery of, yes. of work that you've done. So can you please share with us your website and where people can find you on social media? Yes, so I, uh, I sell brushes on dogwoodhandcrafts.com. I do a release about once a month of between 15 and 20 brushes. Um, they usually sell out really fast because there's not very many of them and I don't release them very often. I'm obviously very grateful for that. Uh, I, I post pictures of the ones that I'm working on, on, uh, Instagram and the handle is dogwood handcrafts. And, um, I do occasionally, uh, live stream on YouTube under my YouTube name, which is not dogwood handcrafts because I made it like 10 years before dogwood. That's, um, youtube.com slash S C joiner J O I N E R. If you want to see how brushes are made, I've done some videos where it's like a produced video where I go through with different camera angles and kind of show the entire process, uh, start to finish with explaining what I'm doing. And, um, I've, I've, you know, I make other things on there too, occasionally just general woodworking stuff. But, um, in the, in the shaving space, I've done, uh, some 
reviews of like soaps and stuff that I like or other people's brushes, but actual woodworking space is what I most enjoy. And uh, I, I am just fortunate enough that the shaving, uh, the shaving like community and hobby has room for my interest in it, in the, in the woodworking stuff that it can accommodate that as a, you know, as a business and as a hobby and everything. So I, I really appreciate everybody that um, supports you know, people like me and the other guys that make brushes. So they really could be making anything. And we're very fortunate to have a group of people that, um, that our work can be actually useful for them in their everyday life. Awesome. Well, I definitely do want to encourage folks. I will have all the links also in the show notes in the description below. Anyway, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on to Lather Talk. We hope you can join us again in the future. Yeah, thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Uh, if anybody has any, uh, I don't know, any like questions or they need help with anything, uh, not in as far as like um, buying stuff from me, but as far as like if they're interested in getting started with brushes, uh, I've I've helped a lot of people uh, kind of like learn what what tools they need and the materials and um, how to how to like go about the process from start to finish. And I, I really like talking about that sort of thing with people. And uh, so any questions, you can always reach out to me on uh, the website or wherever else. So, but yeah, thanks again for having me. This is a lot of fun. Awesome. Thank you so much, Steven. Thank you for listening to Lather Talk. If you're enjoying the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. We appreciate your time and support and hope to catch your next episode.